This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 28th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. In the news this week, the federal government is making an effort to bribe Tesla into opening up its supercharger EV charging network to non-Tesla vehicles. Will Tesla say yes? We'll have the details and our thoughts on that coming up. Kia and Hyundai are in the midst of fixing a software glitch that left thousands of their vehicles vulnerable to theft. Wow, that's a wild story. Uh, Theft way up with those vehicles. We'll have more on this incredible story coming up. Mercedes-Benz is trying to jumpstart its EV sales by offering a bounty to current electric vehicle owners. At the same time, Volvo says it will not lower its EV prices to match Tesla's recent move. We'll have the details on that coming up in, later in this segment. I am Jack Nierad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives on one, at one end of the country. I live at the other. And each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most for your automotive dollar. I also rub Chris's nose in it that I have good weather and he has terrible <laughs> weather in the winter. The change of seasons is a lovely thing, isn't it, Chris? certainly is, Jack. Sorry, I was distracted. There's a huge uh, parade of ambulances flying by my house right now. But uh, the weather actually has not been so bad this weekend. Uh, a little chilly, but no snow, no rain, uh, no, no precipitation to report, I guess. Yeah, I was at the Chicago Auto Show, and it was about 40 degrees, 35 degrees. Uh, there was a little rain, but rain beats 10 inches of snow any day of the week. I think you'll agree with me most of the time. Not when you're going skiing, but other times, certainly true. So uh, those are the, the nationwide weather report on America on the Road. Now, now let's get into cars. Uh, you have a really interesting vehicle to talk about this week, and I want to hear what you have to say about it in the cold weather. Yeah, I drove the uh, 2023 Ford F-150 Lightning. This is the platinum trim, so top of the line. Uh, very exciting. Really cool vehicle and uh, a lot to talk about it. And Driving it in that uh, cold weather that you experience, and, and just where you experience it. I mean, uh, New England is a different kind of driving, certainly, than uh, other parts of the country. So I'm eager to hear what you have to say about that. I'm going to be road testing the 2023 Hyundai Elantra Hybrid. This is certainly an era when fuel economy is getting more and more important again. Uh, we're, our fuel prices are inching up toward $5 a gallon here in Southern California. So uh, so a hybrid version, uh, certainly worthy of a look. I'll tell you what I found out later in the show. We have a terrific guest for you uh, this week, very enthusiastic guy. Jim Owens is marketing manager for the Ford Mustang. Uh, he might even have a, a more fancy title than that, but we'll be talking about the first public showing of the Mustang Dark Horse. That's the first all-new Mustang model in decades. At least that's what they're saying now. You could, yeah, <laughs> you may be uh, some Kentucky windage there fudging a little bit, but uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy his discussion about that vehicle and see where Mustang is going. Before we do anything else, though, we'll, we're going to be bringing you the latest automotive information from around the world. So let's dive right in. I mean, this is a fascinating story, and I, I'm eager for your take on this, Chris. Uh, the U.S. government uh, wants Tesla to unlock its EV chargers. Of course, one of the things that Tesla did, and, and arguably one of the smartest things they did, was set up their own network of supercharger stations across the country, uh, exclusive to Tesla. And uh, I think a major benefit in buying a Tesla is access to that, uh, that network of, of chargers, um, now the government would like to open those up to non-Tesla owners. 
And um, they're, they're waving a lot of money at Tesla, uh, although they qu won't quite say how much. Uh, there are billions of dollars that were part of the uh, Anti-Inflation Act or the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that are earmarked for infrastructure here. Um, or maybe it was the infrastructure bill. I'm not sure which one of those uh, major <laughs> expenditures it was, but there's tons of money in the billion, $7.5 billion uh, available uh, for uh, expanding the charger network. What's your basic take on this? I'm actually more in favor of the money up front to expand the charging network than I am subsidies for purchasing electric vehicles. I think that the car before the horse solution here is, is kind of where I've been going with it. But if as an owner or not an owner, as a driver of many non-Tesla EVs, I applaud uh, maybe having more charging options, although there aren't that many around here. I think for Tesla owners, though, this could be a major pain point. I mean, they already there are already all sorts of reports of people waiting for, what, half hour, an hour to just even start charging. So uh, having more EVs kind of clogging up those superchargers is probably not going to be very welcome for them. Yeah, I mean, I think this is uh, an overreach. Uh, I think the government overreaches a lot, as, as you probably know about me, Chris. Certainly, uh, the plan is to have half a million EV chargers in the coming years. Uh, we have something like 100,000. The Biden administration goal is to have 50% of new uh, U.S. vehicle sales be all electric by 2030. That's coming pretty soon, <laughs> really. And uh, as you say, they're not going to do it without this without the addition of a ch uh, charging network. And yet here is a, a um, proprietary thing that Tesla has done as a business, setting this up as a benefit for their buyers. I think just opening it up to others, especially as you say, when uh, they're having trouble accommodating their own uh, owners, is really difficult for Tesla. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much money exactly changes hands if this moves forward, obviously. You know, Tesla talked about doing this, was it last year they started talking about doing this? Uh, and I'm not sure why they didn't, but uh, I'm sure they had good reasons not to move forward. Yeah, well, I think one of them is the fact that they like to maintain that exclusivity. And uh, it also allows them to manage this network a, a lot better than they would before. I mean, they have a proprietary connection uh, and they'd have to either allow uh, others to use that connection or have some kind of adapter to use the connection. And that might result in a, a bad experience for those people. Yeah, I'm always in favor. Of, I like more availability, but it's hard to argue against uh, a company whose business model was largely based on this, this charging network. I mean, like this is a huge benefit, as you mentioned, for Tesla owners. So um, I will be watching to see how this plays out with much interest. Well, here's something else of much interest, and in, uh, it's about Kia and Hyundai vehicles. I, and uh, this is a fascinating story to me. Uh, apparently, many Kia and Hyundai vehicles have been vulnerable to vehicle theft, and pretty easy vehicle theft. In fact, it's so easy that there are uh, YouTube and uh, TikTok videos, apparently, showing people how to do it. I'm a free speech kind of guy, but I think when you uh, advocate criminal activity, maybe you can moderate that off the web somehow, uh, just parenthetically. But uh, this is kind of a wild thing, isn't it, that uh, these vehicles can be uh, fairly easily stolen. Yeah, these are the ones, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that have physical keys. These are not the uh, key fob, push button, start cars that a lot of us have. Apparently, the keys don't have the chip that communicates with another chip inside the ignition uh, body or housing. And so thieves have figured out a way to get around that, and they've been advertising how to do this pretty easily or pretty easily online. Um, insurance companies are kind of backing away from some of these vehicles. They're saying we don't want to cover them because there's so many thefts. So 
it's interesting or it's actually good to hear that they're they're coming out with a software fix that could help these vehicles you know kind of stop the thieves as they're going but it's looking like people are turning to like the old school club and things to keep their cars from being stolen in fact i think those brands are offering those free uh to their owners of of affected vehicles uh just as a stopgap measure until they have the software fixed and it's kind of surprising to me how long this has taken because uh this has become fairly well known and this is on vehicles uh 2020 and earlier they now say both of these brands say that the engine immobilizers which prevent this uh, are standard on all vehicles, including those that operate with a key. Pretty wild stuff. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, a lot of uh, a lot of insurance companies are taking a second look at these uh, c- cars and and refusing to insure them. And that's a big deal too, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there, there's no reason uh, from their perspective to continue issuing new policies. I should say, I don't think they've kicked anybody off of their insurance policy who have these cars, but. Uh, if you're buying one of these cars used, uh, you might have a hard time at, in some states getting them covered. Right. Well, the next story is about Mercedes-Benz, and I, I have been scratching my head trying to figure out why I don't see more Mercedes-Benz uh, electric vehicles in Southern California, which is, of course, a, a hotbed for both Mercedes-Benz vehicles and for electric vehicles. But the twain doesn't seem to be meeting. Mercedes is trying to change that by offering discounts to people who own or lease EVs of other brands. And uh, I, I can't say the price reductions are all that gigantic, given, <laughs> given what these vehicles cost. But it could save you as much as $2,500 off the MSRP of an EQS sedan uh, or a, an SUV. The EQB has a $500 price cut. The EQE, which I like a lot, a $1,000 price reduction if you can prove you have another vehicle. I, and I don't think it, it, it revolves or involves you trading in a new vehicle. I think it just involves proving <laughs> that you own one. Interesting uh, take on this. What do you think, Chris? It is. And as you point out, these the MSRPs on these cars, you know, getting a $500 reduction or whatever the, the price is, it's not going to make a huge difference. But that goes a little bit of the way toward compensating for the fact that these vehicles don't qualify for tax credits because of their price and, and some of these other things. So it's, you know, they're, they're trying to drum up some interest here. The other automakers are cutting prices significantly. So I can see it. And, it's, and to your point, these are, they're excellent luxury EVs. So there's not, um, there's not like a functional issue that's causing them to do this. So um, I can see, see this, well, I can see why they're doing this, I should say. Right. Meanwhile, Volvo is not going to cut the price on its EVs. There's been a lot of EV pricing action lately, uh, some in response to what's going on with uh, incentives and some just in general. Uh, But Volvo says, no, we're not going to do it. We like the number of orders we have. So uh, we're going to stick with our pricing. So Mercedes-Benz lowering theirs, but Volvo not lowering theirs. And uh, so that's the news for this week. And when we come back, we'll be road testing very cool vehicles, the Ford F-150 Lightning and the Hyundai Elantra HEV. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. We appreciate it. Stay with us through the break. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nierad back with you. And this is one of our favorite segments, I think, the road test segment. You were road testing the Ford F-150 Lightning. And in different kind of weather conditions, I think, than you've tested it before, uh, Tell us all about it. I did. I think the last time I tested it was in late summer, early fall. You know, pretty warm still here for us. Uh, this weekend, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we were down around freezing, so not the Arctic blast that we had the week before. 
but the truck performed uh, pretty well. So I'll just start with the price. Um, Ford's raised the price a couple of times on this thing. The Pro model, which is the base entry level, starts a little bit less than 60 grand now with uh, destination and stuff and charges. Uh, my fully loaded Platinum extended range model crested $100,000 with options. So you can see there's a big spread here, Jack, with you know the availability and the, the pricing of this truck. Uh, the good thing with that the, the stout price tag that you get with the Platinum is that you get the extended range battery already. So you, that brings 580 horsepower, 775 pound-feet of torque, an estimated range of 300 miles. I will tell you here, using the climate control systems, heated seats, massaging seats, just the whole uh, bells, and wheels bells and wheels package, uh, I did not achieve that range. In fact, I think I charged it to 90% this morning, uh, and it said it was at about 212 miles, 214 miles. So that's the computer compensating for capacity, so it's learning uh, you know, how the the weather affects the range and what the, the features are. So uh, I would just say, be aware of the temperature and what features you're using. It also affects charging speed. So I'm not going to go on this with every single EV test for the rest of our lives on this radio show, uh, just to say that I think that uh, people need to be aware of that. But so almost 300 miles of range uh, or 300 miles of range listed, almost $100,000, plenty of horsepower and torque. Jack, I want to get your feeling on this. Zero to 60, Ford says in around four seconds. All I know is that the blood leaves in the front of my face and heads to the back of my face with my foot down. What do you think of the acceleration and the power? It's like driving trucks? a McLaren. I mean, it's it's really kind of wild how uh, much acceleration you get so fast, right? I mean, literally, uh, you know, almost blackout kind of uh, uh, acceleration, pulling the blood from your head. And the thing they've done really well is you still get you get that power and acceleration also in the mid range too. So you know, 30 to 50, 40 to 60 on the highway, you're passing. The punch is still there. You still have it. Uh, and it's silent. So it's still one of those things that people here in traffic, a lot of, uh, you know, work types in the middle of the day sitting in their Chevy 2500 at the, the red light, uh, see me take off silently and they're still doing the double take. They don't understand. Uh, but as we've talked about before, Jack, one of the things I really like about the F-150 Lightning is how it looks and behaves like a regular truck. It's not. Uh, we've seen some of the concept trucks from Chevrolet, the 1500 uh, Silverado 1500 electric vehicle and Ram just unveiled theirs, but it looks and behaves like a regular truck. A little bit more movement on the road. The heavy batteries, you can definitely feel weighing on the suspension a little bit. It's uh, a little floaty at times, but the handling is great thanks to the low batteries. Very quiet, as I said, uh, and you get the, the looks and the styling of a regular pickup truck. Inside, these are uh, crew cab, I'm sorry, super crew only. So that's four doors, five seats in these trucks. Uh, plenty of room for a family of four plus a dog. Um, the platinum has, I'm sorry, massaging seats, cooled seats, uh, heated seats, the whole deal. But even on the lower end, I tested the Lariat before, and even that, uh, trim package feels luxurious inside Ford does a great job with their, uh, their interior finishes. And I want to get your feeling on this too, Jack. What do you think is the best out of all the, the, the American trucks so the big three who has the best infotainment and interior quality. I want to get your feeling. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit before. I, I, I certainly like the Ram 1500. I like the Ram trucks in terms of interiors. I think they have beautiful interiors. They seem uh, fit and finish seems really good. And I think their infotainment systems are terrific. I think Ford is starting to rival them. I think Ford would like to get there and certainly Ford wants to have a flavor for everybody. Right. And the platinum is one of the examples of that. They do, and I agree. I think Ram still has a little bit of a nicer interior in terms of quality, but Ford is definitely catching up, as you say, and they do have great, uh, clever features. So this morning, uh, while I was at the uh, charging station, I didn't want to spend two hours there and, and miss that time from work. So the truck has a motorized fold-down gear shift lever, 
you can fold out the center console and it makes a flat surface so that I could work on my, my computer while I was sitting and charging for an hour and a half or so this morning. And, you know, some trucks, they have the fold flat seats. So if you're on a job site and you don't want to leave, you can take a nap in your truck and fold the seat down. Uh, just some really clever sort of work ready features. You know, I don't work out of my house, so I don't need uh, all the towing and pro power onboard uh, generator that it has, but it does have the ability to power small uh, equipment on a job site. It can power your house if you lose power. So a lot of clever features in this truck, Jack, for the money. I think uh, I would go for a middle trim uh, on this vehicle. I don't need all the luxury fixings, but I think for the people who have the money and need the, and want that tech in that truck, this is a great choice. Yeah, absolutely. It is a great choice. And uh, I think they're selling quite a few of them, and I think they're still selling many of them at a premium, and a, a premium takes that. I mean, that becomes a, a super luxury vehicle, right? Yeah. Well, the vehicle I was testing was uh, much less expensive. Uh, it is the Hyundai Elantra HEV, their hybrid electric vehicle. And I just think it's such a welcome addition to the uh, number of hybrids out there, hybrid sedans, compact hybrid sedans. There's a Corolla hybrid that also is very, very good. And uh, I, I kind of favor that over the Prius these days. This Elantra HEV is uh, well-built, it's roomy, it's stylish, a real five-passenger interior, and then it has, like, kind of blow-your-mind fuel economy uh, in the highest version, 54 miles per gallon fuel economy. Uh, that's just pretty amazing, isn't it? It is, and that just goes to show you how much you can get out of a regular hybrid without going all the way EV or even plug-in hybrid. Yeah, and, uh, you know, one of the nice things about this is... Uh, the price, certainly. I mean, it is priced in the 20s, actually uh, under $25,000, I think, in, in the blue version. Uh, really interesting powertrain. A direct injection 1.6-liter uh, Atkinson cycle four-cylinder engine. That's a Atkinson cycle. is an economy-oriented cycle. And it, then it has a 43-horsepower permanent magnet electric motor. Uh, it offers 139 horsepower and 195 pound-feet of torque. So not tons of horsepower and torque. Uh, in fact, less than the conventional vehicle out there, uh, which is a little different than a lot of hybrids these days that have a, a bit more horsepower sometimes than uh, the conventional vehicle. It uses a six-speed dual-clutch transmission, which is another kind of unusual, unexpected thing, and can be kind of fun. You can, you can shift gears with it. The uh, normally aspirated version, uh, the competitive version within the, the lineup, 147 horsepower, so they're down about eight horsepower, uh, but it, the hybrid has more torque, so they're, they're largely the same in how they feel uh, when you're uh, just driving day to day, and that's you're not gonna take this on the racetrack, so uh, day to day is what it's all about. One of the things nice about it is the size of the trunk. It's got a 14.2 cubic foot trunk, which is larger than a lot of luxury sedans that are much larger. I mean, that's a, a very sizable trunk. And then um, the range is, is will kind of blow your mind too. I mean, when you look at it, it's, a, it's got 11.2 gallon fuel tank and it gets as much as 54 miles per gallon. You know, you're talking about range of... 500 miles or so maybe before you've got to fill up. I mean, that's just convenient, isn't it, Chris? It is. And, you know, for a lot of people, the hybrid is the way to go because you get, you know, great in-town gas mileage. You don't have to worry about charging it. Uh, the price point's a little lower than a plug-in hybrid, considerably lower than an electric vehicle. And as you mentioned, small cars like the Hyundai Elantra do a fantastic job of blending the space with that maneuverable exterior size. So you don't have to get a giant car to get a usable trunk and usable back seat. Right. 
I was testing a limited version of the hybrid electric vehicle, the Elantra HEV, as opposed to the blue. The, the blue is really the, the high fuel economy um, stripped down a little bit. I mean, it's not uncomfortable. It's, it's a, uh, has a good level of equipment, but the limited has you know, a much more uh, luxurious level of equipment. It gets 50 miles per gallon combined, which is certainly a stellar number anyway. And you don't do without any kind of uh, convenience items that you would typically have. Just it's loaded with convenience items. And the pricing is just really, really good, I think. I mean, we're talking about pricing for the, uh, the blue model is $24,400 plus freight. The limited HEV, $29,000 plus about $1,000 in freight. I mean, there's a big difference there. And a conventional vehicle is, a conventional Elantra starts at $20,000 or so. So there's even a spread between that and the first of the hybrids. And you got to figure in, okay, you know, that's two or $3,000. That's a lot of gas uh, you could be paying for. What's your take on all of these things? What direction would you think you would go, Chris? I think I would go hybrid. You know, we still talk about the difficulties in getting a plug-in hybrid and, and the pricing there. I think the price for me would be right with a hybrid. The Elantra is a great car. Um, I think that if I need a little more space, you could step up. Uh, but I don't I don't think you really need to. I think Hyundai hit a sweet spot here. And I recommend this car overall. I mean, build quality is great. Pricing is good. The level of equipment is good. Safety equipment is good. Uh, there's really nothing to complain about. So uh, kudos to Hyundai for that and, and kudos to Ford Motor Company for the Lightning. Of course, we have liked that vehicle a lot. When we come back, we will be talking to uh, Jim Owens of Ford about another Ford icon, uh, the Ford Mustang. They have a new model he wants to talk about. It was shown at the Chicago Auto Show. So stay with us for that interview. Stay with us through the break and we'll have Jim Owens next. Hi, this is Jackie Red, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nierad back with you. We're at the Chicago Auto Show. As you can tell, this isn't our normal studio. This isn't where we usually set up. But uh, very exciting guest for you, Jim Owens. This is with Ford. Uh, Mustang marketing manager, I believe, is, sure. is your something like that. Just yeah, maybe, maybe a, a more elevated title than that. Just don't call me late to the keys to the car. You yeah. can call me any title you want as long as I get to be working around Mustang. Yes. So Mustang is the thing. We've spoken about Mustang before on the show. 
You're such an advocate. Uh, tell us what's going on here at the Chicago Show. We're so glad to be here at the Chicago Auto Show. So many enthusiasts are located right around here in Chicago, and it's nice to be able to bring out the seventh generation Mustang here, um, including the dark horse with the carbon fiber wheels. That's the first time we've shown it in public. It's here for people to see all of the technology that we've put into the seventh gen. And you've got to be excited to have the public see this vehicle. I mean, there's there's been a ton of excitement, but then putting it out in front of hundreds of thousands of people that are going to tromp tr tr through the show, that's got to be exciting for it you. It is, because, you know, Mustang is about the community, right? I mean, we have clubs on six of the seven continents, right? I mean, we have like literally have um, hundreds of thousands of people who interact with their Mustang as part of their social life. So there's no better place than in the public and in an auto show to bring out these Mustangs. And then we can't wait for early summer till they're out on the streets and they get to drive them. One of the things that always amuses me when I go to the Ford media site is you will look at various models and they're labeled icons, right? <laughs> and Mustang is certainly an icon. Mustang is maybe the last surviving Ford car in North America, right? I mean. Tell us uh, what Mustang means to Ford Motor Company. So if, if you think about it, longest continuous running sports car nameplate in the United States, right? Thank you for Cor Corvette for forgetting a model year. <laughs> so it is part of, if you think of it, the Ford Fairlane Committee, April 17th, 1964, World's Fair, a, a vehicle that changed how America looked at driving um, Route 66 now was Mustang's home. Um, that heritage, that foundation has grown that made Mustang stories with people over six previous generations. Um, it has been in more than 5,000 movies. It's been in music. It's been in videos. It's been in some of the best chase scenes, the bullet chase scene, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, Eleanor gone in 60 seconds. John, it's a cultural icon because of the owners surrounding their life around the vehicle that continues through today. And the company is just blessed to have those enthusiasts want to do it that carry it on the seventh generation so that we can continue to make Mustang fans going into the future. Well, tell us about the seventh generation. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, Mustang has to look fast standing still. It has to be unmistakably Mustang, but the design crew with Chris and the entire team has you know, lowered the belt line, changed the nose from it in there. So it is that forward-looking Mustang, but is, you know, have on the back of my shirt here all six <laughs> previous generations. Yeah. It's unmistakably Mustang, but it's not looking backwards, it's looking forwards. Um, the power plants, right? An all-new EcoBoost 2.3 liter, a fourth-generation Coyote motor that in the dark horse is a 100-horsepower power per liter, right? Yeah. Twin air box into a twin throttle body going in there that generates 500 horsepower, 480 horsepower in the base Mustang GT. We're excited about that. Um, the interior technology, if you think of the younger audience, if I want people, you know, my kid's age to be into Mustang and into the sports car, you have to evolve that technology. And that technology in the interior is powered by the Unreal Gaming technology that makes like the rocket league game so our engineers you're talking to me like i know what that is <laughs> <laughs> um, i do because like the kids play it and i yeah. get to watch um but but that's in that interior technology so where i might personalize my car by strapping on the blower right or changing the upper and lower control arms or you know changing the stripes on it the younger generation 
personalizing, making it their Mustang is about the technology yeah, that you're using. And it's using. a different kind of technology, right? It is, I mean, and it's, it's in yeah. that Mustang. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, we're so happy about that. Um, the Dark Horse bringing out a first new nameplate in 21 years. We did the Bullet previously as the first new one, right? Now we've done our Cal Specials and the 350s and the Mach 1s and the Boston 02s. This is the first new one, and it was the horse you didn't see coming. So it has that forward-facing horse on the side and on the back of the car to represent all the cool performance and technology we have. So is this going to be a, a, a vehicle, a nameplate, with staying power, or is this a come and go dark horse? So is that going to be know, with us for a while? So you know, we don't talk about future product, obviously. Sure but uh, <laughs> we, what we do is with Mustang, we have had you know the unique namings, you know, the Twister edition, the Blue Bonnet edition, and those you know, those that carry on Cal Special, right? That's been through the '60s, even through Gen Five and Gen Six. Um, we look at those names and see what we do on this, but this dark horse we're so proud of to be in that seventh generation 24 model year to represent the pinnacle of performance of the Mustang 5 liter and to lead us into our racing. Um, when we revealed the car, we had all of the race cars up there at the same time on the screen. Like we had one covered, right? Because we hadn't unveiled that one yet. But we've launched this generation with the racing vehicles at the same time. And that Dark Horse R and S, like the Dark Horse is going to be a key piece of that racing future. Mm -hmm. So what most excites you about this? Is it the challenge of, you know, marketing a sports car that's has this long history or to a new generation or, or you know tell me what it is that kind of gets the juices flowing yeah. about this one for me it is about bringing in that younger audience um, you know, I want Mustang to be that iconic brand and product into the future. Um, and to do so, um, the design team, the technology team, the you know, vehicle engineering team have put all of those things in there that will carry this car forward. And that's what makes me so excited. The remote rev. Okay, like, okay, you don't need it in a Mustang, right? But you don't, you don't, you do need it in a Mustang. You don't need it in a normal car, but you can walk up put your key fob on the active valve exhaust cars and it will take you through and remote rev the vehicle while you're standing outside just so you can it. show off just right? so I'm, you yeah, can yeah, demonstrate yeah. the you're you know standing at the roadside cafe yeah. and here you are yep Roll line up. lock drift brake think of the drift brake right a lot of the younger audiences if you think of formula drift Vaughn Gittin jr two-time champion in a mustang um younger folks are watching the drifting and participating in drifting you know i grew up in drag racing you know people grew up in left and right now we have a drift stick in there that Vaughn and chelsea helped the engineers design so you if you wanted to start to learn how to drift, could do it, and then you can dial it up as you get better at it. What in the Mustang is there for the average civilian who just wants a good-looking car, right? I mean, t tell us about it, because I think that's your, your big constituency, right? It's, it, it's about the open road freedom, right? It's that vacation. When you get into that car, one, you know, you pull up to the stoplight in a Mustang and people look at you in the car and the, you make the car look good. That feeling you get when you drive it, it is that escape. Um, you know, you've had a tough day at the office and you jump on the Southfield freeway and under the Ford Road overpass, you kind of pop in the clutch a little bit, rev the engine so it bounces up against there to kind of give you that feeling. Those are the things that make Mustang um, beyond the power and performance, the car you want to be in, you know, drop your convertible top, drive out in the open road, uh, that open road feeling, that's what's core to Mustang. And this car 
exterior design-wise, looks fast standing still, is unmistakably Mustang and provides those consumers that feeling of escape and freedom that we love. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of, uh, I, I, wanna, I don't want to say handcuffs, but what kind of restraints do you have with Mustang? I mean, uh, or do you not have any? Could you do a, imagine a complete electrified Mustang? Just battery electric. We have, Could you, uh, we have a battery electric yeah, Mustang. Yeah. The Mustang Mach-E, yeah. that GT performance right. pack, Brembo brakes, Magnaride suspension, zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. Like we have that choice right now. If you want that performance level from a Mustang standpoint and that exterior design, we have that in the Mustang Mach-E today. Mm-hmm. And we're really proud of that. And how about hybrids, that kind of thing? Are you, are you looking, is, is there a way to go there? Would you consider that? Does that so, make any sense? So right now, like if you look at it, we've just come out with the fourth generation Coyote motor, the all new 2.3 liter, because we know our, our, our target customers want that internal combustion if you want the electric we have the mustang mach-e um you know we're always looking at things but that we're proud to be able to launch two new internal combustion engines in the mustang family and we're excited about it yeah well i can imagine why well thanks so much for being with us jim it's Owen. always so, good talking yeah a pleasure talking to you about mustang i always love talking about mustang and i'm sure we'll do it again absolutely We've got about 30 seconds before our next automotive segment, so I thought I'd tell you a little bit about one of my books, The GR Factor. The subtitle is Unleashing the Undeniable Power of the Golden Rule. With The GR Factor in your life, you'll see things differently because you'll have a deeper understanding of your precious humanity. Understanding our humanity and then acting on it is really important, and I think that's the key to the GR factor. And it's the key to the GR factor becoming a very strong force in your life. So look for that, the GR factor. It's available on Amazon and all across the country. So stay with us. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackie Red. With you for listener question time. We love to take your listener questions. It's easy to reach us with a listener question. Just send it to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com. We'll try to answer your question. In fact, we can almost guarantee we will answer your question on an upcoming show. Um, I'm sure you'll have a very intelligent question for us. And uh, I think this is an intelligent question from Mavis in Fresno, California. This is what Mavis had to say, and I'm curious as to what Chris Teague has to say to Mavis. I'm looking to buy a fuel-efficient vehicle, but I can't decide whether I should get a regular gasoline car that gets great mileage or get a hybrid or even a plug-in hybrid. Do you have any thoughts to share? I bet you do. Yeah, I would say for me, it depends on the type of driving that you're doing. Uh, If you have long highway commutes every day, a regular gas car with a small turbocharged fuel-efficient engine may be the way to go because hybrids and plug-in hybrids don't offer the the same fuel efficiency benefit on the highway that they do in town. If you have a lot, a lot of in-town driving, uh, a hybrid might be a good choice for you. Now, if you have a small, a short commute in town, uh, a plug-in hybrid could help you prevent going uh, to the gas station altogether. So it really depends on on how you drive. I think highway driving is or gas vehicles are more suited for highway driving right now. Uh, hybrid driving, hybrids and PHEVs are more suitable for in-town driving. Yeah, we're seeing the prices of hybrids uh, or the differential between hybrid pricing and conventional vehicle pricing kind of narrow, which I certainly stands uh, positive for hybrids. And we just talked earlier in the show about the uh, Hyundai Elantra hybrid uh, that I think is a screaming deal. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, several thousand dollars more expensive 
than the equivalent uh, vehicle with more horsepower that's powered by a conventional engine and gets pretty darn good fuel economy itself. So I, I think you've got to sort that into the, the mix too. I mean, when you have this big price differential, and sometimes uh, that is exacerbated, made even worse uh, by the fact that maybe you can't get the discount on the hybrid that you might get on the conventional car. Um, there's a lot of fuel in that cost, isn't there? Yes, there is. So that makes some sense. I, I And I absolutely agree with you that looking at the type of, of driving you do, I mean, certainly <laughs> I've done some commutes on uh, the 405 freeway here in, in Southern California, which sounds like freeway driving, but it turns out to be stop and go urban kind of driving uh, when you're doing it in rush hour. So um, those are good conditions for hybrids and, and plug-in hybrids to uh, be valuable uh, in terms of fuel economy. That's where they're at their best, I think. Yep, I agree. All right. Well, let's take another question. Um this is from uh, Kenny in Newark, New Jersey. Oh, this is a question that I think is going to uh, prompt some, uh, if not debate, I mean, some lively discussion. Uh, this is what Kenny says. I read somewhere online that electric vehicles might not go far enough to end global climate change. It said that they have any real effect, and, and maybe Kenny is editorializing here, most of us would have to switch to public transportation or live within walking distance of our jobs. Uh, Chris, I think you and I do that. Uh, you know, my walking distance is uh, down the stairs. But what do you think about that? What's your, what's your take on all of this? Depending on who you ask, they could be saying the exact same thing or they could be saying something different. I've read in the last week at least two opinions that are exactly what uh, that this person presents and the opposite of that. So a lot of people think that shared transportation or shared uh, rides cars, buses, whatever it might be, uh, are the way. And the individual car ownership is wasteful and, and hurtful to the environment and, and all sorts of other things. Others still say that the, be the best tool here is for to drive EV adoption or hybrid adoption, you know, to reduce the reliance on fossil fuels so that we can start to do that. Whether that goes far enough or not, I don't think many people have a good idea right now. I will say that I think it's more likely that we start to look at other industries, airlines, the cruise ship industry, industries uh, like manufacturing, agriculture, all these things, and find efficiencies there in terms of reducing greenhouse gas output so that we're not going to be forced into owning or riding with everybody else on the bus every day. But uh, nobody has a crystal ball. That's all I can say with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to figure out what you can do in aviation that is going to you know, cut down greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, you're going to have uh, combustion. Uh, you're going to be creating carbon dioxide from that combustion. I mean, that's just what happens. And there's no substitute, I think, for jet engines in terms of uh, mass kind of airline transportation. So, uh, you know, I don't know what you do there. And I've got to believe that you know, cruise ships are are super fuel efficient per, per person transported, right? I mean, uh, so... Well, look, I'm not going to attack the cruise ship industry. The, you know, that's something I'm sure millions of people enjoy. It's just picking on it as a as a as one, something that has been identified as a problem in terms of emissions. Right. I mean, I I've got to go back to you know, do we even look at trying to stop the climate from changing, something that has always changed, or do we adapt to the fact that it is changing? Uh, I think there's some common sense in that, but. Uh, it's common sense that doesn't seem to uh, get much traction 
with a lot of uh, certainly, uh, you know, some who have uh, certainly politicized uh, what's going on in terms of climate change. I mean, the fact that the climate is always changing has uh, kind of not been commonly discussed. And it's, it's something that uh, absolutely has happened, you know, long before we had the Industrial Revolution, long before we had vehicles on the road. I, I am a personal proponent of um, individual transportation. I love that. I think that's a freedom we enjoy that we don't want to give up. And I, and I, I bet you share that with me, Chris. Yeah, I do. But now that we're here, I think we got to kind of figure out what we can do to uh, ebb the or stem the tide of whatever the expression is you want to call it. Um, shared transportation is not the way I want to get there, though. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, those of us who have ridden the bus or the L train or the, all of that, and I, I was on commuter rail a lot of long time in Chicago, and there's some advantages to it, and some major disadvantages. Of course, I had to drive to the train uh, <laughs> to, to even start my commute. So at some point I figured, you know, I might as well just drive to work or drive to school. This is when I was going to school a lot of the time. So uh, different things. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take another question. I think that prompted some discussion and I think was valuable. This is maybe a little more straightforward a question. Should I, and this is from Sunny in Napa, California. Ah, sunny Napa, California. I like that. It is sunny much of the time, which is why it's a great wine-growing region. Should I buy a Genesis GV60 or a Tesla Model 3? I like the GV60, but the Model 3 seems more popular. Do you have a favorite among these two? Ooh, I like both of these. I think the Model 3 is a little less expensive uh, than the GV60 to start, but I love the GV60's interior. I think Genesis nails the luxury finish, the luxury look. Uh, it's not as uh, minimal and minimalist as Tesla's interiors are. So you you get some buttons and some controls and things that you're probably used to in a regular car. Uh, and I, I like the way the GV60 drives better. You know, to me, the Model 3 is a great car. It's got a great range. It's nice interior, but it just isn't that inspiring to drive. I mean, I know you might not care about that in your commuter car, but the GV60 is truly engaging to drive in all its forms. So uh, that would probably be what but put it over the top for me. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Chris. I like the GV60 a lot. Of course, it shares a powertrain with the Hyundai Ioniq 5 and the Kia EV6, uh, maybe the more premium area of, of that uh, shared powertrain and you know shared platform. I think they've done a nice job separating those. And certainly, you don't look at those three vehicles and think they're the same. They're, they're not badge engineered in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'm amazed at the uh, you know almost generic... Uh, uh, what has become almost generic, the Tesla Model 3 just seems like electric car, <laughs> you know, blue stripe uh, electric car. Um, I would buy the GV60 here. I think I like the distinctiveness of it. and uh, But you do give up a significant amount of range, I think, if you're buying the uh, GV60 versus the Model 3. Yeah, I do think Tesla has them beat by quite a bit there, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Well, that sums up our show for this week, Chris, and I think we've answered some some good questions here. And uh, thanks so much for lending your expertise to the show. I enjoyed being here, Jack, and I'll tell everybody else if you loved listening to what you uh, to what we talked about and you want to take us with you wherever you go, you can check out sportsmapradio.com. There we are on the Saturday schedule. You can find our radio version of the podcast as well as the podcast on every one of the major platforms. I also want to tell you about yourtestdriver.com. If you're looking for vehicle information on safety, um, test results, horsepower, torque, all those things, we have great lists and great comparisons up there today. It's yourtestdriver.com. 
Uh, Jack, thanks again. I look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, well, check out YourTestDriver.com. And also, if you would, check out my newest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller based on true crime. Um, kind of a spinoff from my fatal photographs, the story of the Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. So look for that. And uh, I hope you like the show. Thanks for listening to the show. Pass it on if you like it. Let people know what radio station you listen to the show on or where you get the podcast. Uh, you want to send them a copy of the podcast, by all means do that. And join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to fatal photographs my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel. So he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.